Thank you for joining us for worship. We are going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 today. I think our video clip uh, kind of gives us a glimpse of what it could have been like for um, Mary's mother. We actually don't know anything about Mary's mother from the Bible. And, um, but I can imagine that when she heard of the news of Mary, she had some very real questions um, that her young teenage daughter was going to have a baby. How in the world could she be pregnant? Why would Mary want to make up such an incredible story? What are people going to think? I imagine that crossed her mind. I think it would cross anybody's mind. Um, what about the hopes and dreams that maybe Mary's parents had had for her? And uh, how does, you know, Joseph fit into this story? There's some questions there. Is Mary really telling the truth? This whole thing doesn't really make sense, does it? At least at first. So, you know, I don't really know what Mary's mother thought, um, but she would have had questions, very real questions. Most of us know the Christmas story pretty well. Um, when you think about it, though, Mary didn't know the story at all. When you approach the story from Mary's perspective, she had no experiences like this before in her life. But when, when the angel came to Mary, there was a, an amazing breakthrough that was happening. And practically no one knew about it. God had been silent. God had been silent for almost 400 years. The last time God had spoken to his people was through the prophets of the Old Testament. And Malachi was the last. And then there is silence. You know, and God's people continued, and they, they, at times, were trying to be obedient, and at times, they just kind of were doing their own thing, and God never spoke to them. He stopped sending them prophets to speak for him. Now comes Luke chapter 1 and a breakthrough. God is speaking again, and God is up to th something, and it's really going to be big. And I'm going to read Luke chapter uh, 1, verses 26 through 38. And this is going to be our passage this morning, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. Luke writes, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. Jesus. 
He will be great and he will be called the Son of God, the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we begin with God's messenger in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 30, and he is the angel Gabriel. When did this take place? When in verse 26? It was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And so uh, Luke brings us right into the context here, and maybe we don't know what the context is, so I'm glad to remind us of what the context is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. A great, uh, Gabriel had already been up to something in Luke chapter 1. In Luke 1.11, Gabriel appeared in the temple in Jerusalem to a priest named Zechariah. Gabriel's purpose was to announce the birth of a special child named John. John would go before the Lord as a servant of the Lord to announce uh, and prepare the way before the Lord. John will be called later John the Baptist. John's mother was named Elizabeth, and that's who we refer to in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. We meet Elizabeth in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, and I'll just read that for us. In the time of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So we have a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. They would have been great role models. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Elizabeth was beyond childbearing at this point in her life. And, and uh, they had wanted a child and they had waited and God had not answered them with a, with a child. And so um, now we, we have the context of who this Elizabeth is, and she is now in her six-month pregnancy. And let me just add, verse 23, when his time of service was completed, when Zechariah's time of service was completed at the temple in Jerusalem, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, now she's in her sixth month. In these days... She said, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So 
That's Elizabeth. Now, God sends his messenger. And who is this messenger? We, we said he is Gabriel, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel. God's messenger. You know, angels are real spiritual beings. Um, they are created beings. God, the creator, created uh, angels. They are not physical beings. They are spiritual beings. They may appear from time to time like humans. Some of them also have appeared with wings. We'll see that in the book of Revelation. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6. They have various roles, and their roles all are ministers or servants of God. And they carry out God's will. They are personal beings. This separates them. They have a personality. They have emotions, intellect, and will. Um, and they apparently exist in ranks. Gabriel is a high-ranking angel that serves in the presence of God. And Gabriel appeared in person to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. So we, here we have an angel that appears in person hundreds of years earlier to Daniel. Same angel appears to Elizabeth, and now he is appearing to Mary. If you study the life of Christ, one of the things that you observe is that angels, the ministry of angels surrounds and accompanies Christ. And they're there to serve him. And they appeared on many different, and it was sometimes very frightening to people who experienced it. And like the silence that, we that they experienced from Malachi to the Luke chapter 1, sometimes there is a silence from God on a lot of different things, even the appearance of angels. But I, I, I guarantee you one thing. When, we, when Jesus comes again, when we get close to that time, there's going to be a whole lot more activity among angels and their presence on earth. So we have the, we have the when and in and, and, and the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the, the who is, is Gabriel, now, now the where. Where did, this, where did Gabriel appear to Mary? And we see in verse 26, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. This was a very small village at this time in northern Israel. And uh, right here on the good old map, we have it. And so um, go down to the, to the bottom south and find Jerusalem. You know, think of that's like the capital of the world. And one day it really will be. It'll be the center of the universe pretty much when, when God's kingdom comes. Revelation 21 and 22. And... Uh, but Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jerusalem is where um, Gabriel encountered Zechariah to, to announce the birth of John. And then look at Bethlehem, right just a little bit south of there. That's where Jesus will be born. It's very close. It's just a small little village outside of Jerusalem. And then if you go up north, find Nazareth, kind of up on the map, and you find Nazareth, and that's where Mary is. That's where Mary and Joseph grow up. 
and uh, they're going to go to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus, but they're going to return to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus will grow up as well. Um, And then uh, look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And so um, Gabriel's words are going to be a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor, the, honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Let's jump to the map. Can we do that? Back to the map. So go up again, find Nazareth, and you see Zebulun, which is a province in Israel, and Naphtali, which is a province in Israel. When Joshua conquested the land of Canaan, the land was divided among the 12 tribes. Naphtali and Zebulun are two of the tribes. And God is focused on this area now. And he has picked Nazareth in um, in Zebulun. And it's going to be a place of fulfillment. Now let's go on to Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So that area on the map around Galilee, Jesus will be uh, raised in Nazareth. And then Jesus' ministry will be around the Sea of Galilee. And a light has dawned in that province. Sometime in the future to what Gabriel's talking about. There'll be a light that will guide the wise men to Bethlehem. But most importantly, Jesus is the light of the world. And that's the light that will will dawn. So in verse uh, 27, the angel appears to whom? Verse 27, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we we know her name, Mary, likely a very young teenager. She is pledged to be married to Joseph. We, we, We learn that. And the custom of the day, as you may well know, is that marriages were prearranged by families ahead of time. Then there was a legal contract for engagement, the pledge, and it was very strong and powerful legal contract not to be broken. Um, There really had to be a divorce take place to remove the the contract, the marriage contract. Um, The couple did not live together or sleep together until after their wedding night, which was typically a year or so after the engagement. Um, Mary was a virgin. She had never had sexual relations with a man. Um, She was in the family line of King David, and we learned that. All of these things are important. And then we see in verses 28 through 30, the what. What did Gabriel have to say? What was his purpose? Look at 28. The angel went to her and said, 
Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, Gabriel greets uh, Mary and uh, tells her she's highly favored and that the Lord is with her. Mary has received grace from God, favor from God. Um, Mary has been blessed by the Lord. I've experienced grace from God. I've experienced, you have experienced grace from God. You got something you didn't deserve in your salvation. Grace. God gave it to you. God gave grace to Mary. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, sometimes I think it's helpful because I was just asked this question this week. Um, what's the difference? This is from a person who was raised in a Roman Catholic Church. What's the difference between your church and my church? That was her question. And um, the Roman Catholic tradition interprets this to mean that Mary is full of grace. In the sense that not only did, is Mary full of grace, Mary can dispense grace. Mary can give out grace to, follow, to Jesus' followers. And not only that, there's another step that Mary is a mediator between God and man. And uh, for that reason, people are instructed to pray to Mary because she is a mediator and she can dispense grace. And uh, that's, the, that's a pretty big difference because Jesus said he is the way. He's the one mediator between God and man. And that when we pray, we are to pray in the name of Jesus and through him. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, verse 29, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Uh, this seems to be a reasonable response from this young teenager. Never been greeted by an angel before. Uh, wonder what he's about. What, what does he want? Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And this is a common way that angels approach humans. And this is a common response for humans uh, to experience fear. There's something about the presence of angels that causes people to tremble a little bit. Um, a sense of deep awe and respect, as well as a sense that there is someone holy present. Now, Mary didn't say all of that. Gabriel sensed that was true in Mary's presence with him. Next, we come to uh, verses 31 through 33, God's message. We've seen God's messenger, now God's message. What did God have to say to Mary through his messenger, Gabriel? And what did he have to say about Mary in verse 31? He said, you, Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. That's pretty rapid-fire information. Mary, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. I've already got his name picked out for you. So we got it. Mary, did you hear? You will be pregnant. You'll give birth to a son. 
You're going to name this child Jesus. I think that would be a lot for any woman to hear, whether you're a young teenager or whether you're uh, a seasoned woman who's walked with God. And then we hear God's message about her son in verses 32 and 33. Uh, God's message about her son, Jesus. Look at 32. The angel says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I think we, uh, we have been, we've heard this story so many times. It's just so easy to, oh, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. Think about it from Mary's perspective, what she is experiencing. A young teenager. An angel has chosen to talk to her. And the angel is announcing that she is going to be pregnant and now describing this child to her. He will be great. That may be an understatement. He will be called the son of the Most High. Most High is a name for God. He will be the son of God. Um, It doesn't take long for... uh, a Jewish person to understand what that means because a son of the Most High has the same qualities and the same standing as the Father. And so he will be equal with God. He will be given the throne of his father, David. God promised David a special descendant that would reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. Um, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. This is pretty unique. Now, there's enough information here that Mary knows. The angel is talking about Messiah, the special one, the anointed one, uh, also called the Christ. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jacob refers to the entire nation of Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes, and all of the tribes and their families were the nation of Israel. And he would reign over this as the eternal king forever. And he will have a never-ending kingdom, Gabriel says. Uh, It will be eternal. Not only will this be over the nation, but ultimately over the entire earth. Revelation 20, 21 and 22. Gabriel's words to Mary will fulfill God's promise to King David, uh, as we noted, and we see this in 2 Samuel 12 and 13. And, And the prophet Nathan tells David, the king, he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you're dead, man, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh. You're going to have a family lineage flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom, a particular one, a man, his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is building an eternal house, a temple, and it is his church. It started in Acts chapter 2. And you are in the most current chapter. 
but it's not done yet. He is the one who will build a house for my name, the name of Christ, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It will be an eternal kingdom with an eternal king. And then Gabriel's words also connect his announcement with Isaiah's prophecy. And so we go back to Isaiah 9, and we see 6 and 7. And this may be the most popular two verses on Christmas cards. And Isaiah says, For to us, meaning to his own nation, Israel, a child is born. So this is going to be a, an infant. It's going to be a real baby, flesh and blood, fully human. And then he says, to us, a son is given. This is from heaven, a son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This child will be fully human and fully God because he will be sent from the Father. And the government will be on his shoulders. You know what? That's never happened yet. And that's one of the unique things about this passage. And it's one of the things that the prophets didn't see in the Old Testament. And so Mary wouldn't have understood it either. And the only reason I have a clue about it is because of what the New Testament tells us. There's going to be a time period between the birth of Jesus or what we call the first advent a time period between the first advent and the second advent of Christ. The first coming and the second coming. And, and Isaiah goes on, and he's, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Think about this. This is a child given to Mary. He will be called uh, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. How would you like to have a child that will be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of His government and peace. There will be no end. Last slide. He will reign on David's throne. There it is. going to fulfill the Davidic covenant and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And you, you're not going to have to go out and start a war to make this happen because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so, we've had God's messenger and God's message, and now we, we focus in on God's servant Mary, verses 34 through 38. And we have a personal question from Mary, because I think pregnancy would be like a very personal item, and um, we see in verse 34, Mary just says, how will this be? How is this going to happen? Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin. You know, that's really a great question. And, and Mary seems to have a sense that the angel um, is talking about this thing happening pretty soon, pretty quickly. Maybe you don't have a year to wait to plan for your wedding. Um, how is this, how can this be? How is this going to happen since she's not married and she's sexually inexperienced? This is not normal. It doesn't, doesn't seem to add up. 
And next, Gabriel answers this personal question and gives a personal answer in 35. The, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary, this pregnancy is going to be very unique. This will be totally a God thing. You're, you're not going to have to... There's going to be no sexual relationship at all. Um, so that the, ho- the, the, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary, your, your conception is going to be miraculous. It's not going to be the everyday normal way of conception. It's going to be a miraculous conception. Not an immaculate conception, but a miraculous conception Your child, Mary, think about this, let it soak in, your child is going to be the Son of God. There will be no sexual relationships because of this unique person. God, the creator of the universe, will create a child inside of you, Mary. It's going to be a total miracle. It's going to be a very unique son and a unique birth. And Mary, just to, just to encourage you and just so that you can be confident about what's going to happen in your life, there has already been another miracle baby conceived, but not in the same exact way. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Something's happened, Mary, with Elizabeth, and she is pregnant, and she is already in her sixth month. Because God enabled Elizabeth to conceive in the normal way, except it's beyond her childbearing years. And so, Mary, there is going to be a miraculous conception. Just want you to know, Elizabeth's going to be there. Elizabeth has gone through this ahead of you. Elizabeth is an older, godly woman, and she's going to be bringing you some, some wisdom, sharing some wisdom. And if you know the story, Mary will go visit Elizabeth and spend a few months with her before the birth of her child. The child's going to be called the son of God, and then your older relative, Elizabeth, will also have a miracle child. And then in verse 37, the angel gives Mary a personal reminder, for no word from God will ever fail. That's a good reminder for you and me. No word from God will ever fail fail. If God says he is going to do it, he will do it. No prophecy from God will ever fail. God's word is infallible. God's word is trustworthy. That's what he's 
telling Mary. The message that he has brought to Mary is trustworthy, Mary. You can count on it. It's going to happen just like God has uh, instructed us. And of course, I like the older NIV, and some of you know that. And it very simply says, for nothing is impossible with God. That's a great reminder. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you're a critical thinker, right away you can think, well, I can think of something that's impossible for God. Well, God doesn't do evil things. God doesn't lie. God doesn't do wicked things. He only does what is consistent with his nature. But if he says he's going to do it, he will do it. No word from God will ever fail. The question for us is, do you trust what God says? Do you trust what God has said about your future? Do you trust that God will provide for you? Do you trust that God will work good out of difficult things in your life? Do you trust that God is conforming you to the image of his dear son? Do you believe that God can give you peace in whatever circumstances you face? Do you believe that Jesus will return one day for you? Do you believe that one day you're going to stand before Jesus so that we all can give an accounting of how we've lived this life? Verse 38, we have a personal response. Mary has heard the announcement that Gabriel came for. She has learned that she will become pregnant. She does not um, know exactly how all these things are going to work. But she moves ahead. She probably still has questions. We would probably have a ton of questions. But she is settled in her response in verse 38. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. That's settled. And the angel left her. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Now, think about this. this. This part is perfectly clear to Mary already. She has already decided that she was the Lord's servant long before Gabriel ever showed up. What do servants do? Servants serve their master. Servants don't stop and think about, do I want to, could this be convenient for me right now? Do I want to do this really? No, servants have already decided. My job is to serve my master. I just need to know what he wants me to do. That's what servants do. That was Mary's identity before Gabriel showed up. Question for Mary was not, should she obey or should she rebel and do her own thing? She, she now knows what God wants. And 
And she is the Lord's servant. And may God have his way in me. That's how she responds. She wants God to do what he wants to do in her. Mary surrenders her body totally to God. She places her life and her body totally in the hands of of God. It will be costly. It will be rewarding. There will be some embarrassment for this young teenager. Some people will probably look down on her. Some aren't going to believe her story. Some may even laugh at her. But she is the Lord's servant. That's already settled. What about us? What's our identity? We, we talk sometimes about being servants. We know that's what, what we learn in the New Testament. That's what followers of Christ are. They're, they're servants. But have we really thought this through? What does it mean if we have a master and we are servants? Paul, the Apostle Paul called himself a bondservant of Christ. Paul understood. He'd made his decision. His job wasn't to decide whether to obey or not to obey today, whether it's convenient, whether he has time for it. His job was just to do what his Lord said. That's what it means to be a bondservant of Christ. A passage that um, we have from Paul that... um, a lot of us know fairly well is Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it's really a good reminder as we close this morning. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is part of worship, is offering ourselves totally to God, yielding to the Lordship of Christ. And I've, I've always found that helpful just to think about offering my body. I've got to offer all my body parts, you know, my whole being to God, whether it's my, my thought life or all of me as a living sacrifice. You know, the Old Testament, when they, when they came, to, came to the temple, they They killed their sacrifices, and they offered dead sacrifices. But God wants us to be living sacrifices. He's not going to kill us first. He wants to use us while we're alive. And he wants us to yield to him uh, right now. And then he goes on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good and pleasing and perfect will. A lot of times I hear people want to know what God's will is for their life, and this is it. It's to to offer their bodies to God first. Offer themselves. Become a total servant of Christ. What about you? Is that part of your identity already? Or is that something that you need to become. 
Uh, Mary was a de fully devoted follower of her Lord. Jesus calls us to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Let's stand and pray. Father, um, I'm so amazed with Mary's life and her example and her response to you when, when she learned what your plan was for her life and her willingness to be submissive in your hands. God, may we learn from Mary's life. May that be the desire of our heart. May we take time to stop and reflect about what, what it would cost us to give ourselves totally to you. Some of us can do that right now here this morning. Some of us may need to think that through. But God, we, we stand before you today recognize that you loved us and recognize that you gave your son for us it was because of your mercy and that he offered his life as a sacrifice for us that he paid the penalty for our sins he forgave us his body was given for us and now we can give our bodies back to you and God, for any, anyone here who wants to submit to you totally today, we present ourselves, we present our bodies, we, we, we present our minds, every part of us, we offer it to you. May we be your living sacrifices, living for you, not living for self but desiring to serve our master, whose name is Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.